As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg, joined as always in Zoom conference by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton. And Tim, today we are all Houston Astros fans? <laughs> it is, think, uh, you know... Have it's, people come around now? It's... You know the, the Astros, your your lifelong team, the team you've always rooted for. I'm I'm glad we we're able to to drag you away from our Astros podcast to do the Mets one from time to time. Uh, it's it's remarkable. Like you look around at the the baseball postseason landscape, and and when there were you know ten teams at the start of the postseason, there still weren't like many that I feel like Mets fans would want to root for. We talked about this, like the White Sox stood out, maybe the Brewers you would root for, but it like it got bleak pretty fast. Uh, and you know the, like the Braves and Astros maybe aren't the teams in each league you dislike the most. The Astros I don't think are because the Yankees exist. Uh, and it's a it's a Braves-Cardinals race, basically, depending uh, on how old you are for, for team you despise the most in the National League as a Mets fan. Uh, but, you know, the Dodgers and Giants weren't, like, truly lovable teams, I don't think, in the National League either. Uh, and, you know, the more you know about different franchises, uh, the less you like certain things about how they're run and operated. Uh, you know, the, the way the Braves play in like Cobb County way out in, uh, you know, far from downtown Atlanta, for instance. Uh, but, uh, hey, it's the World Series. The teams, the, the players themselves are fun to watch on both teams. Uh, you know, the, the Astros offense is always fun to watch. The Braves... Uh, have uh, a kind of cool feel about them if i'm allowed to describe anything about the atlanta braves as cool uh you know with i think that's fair the the way jock peterson has talked about that team the way you know guys like like eddie rosario has gone full and i think even beyond cody ross at this point uh cody ross back from 2010 with the giants uh putting up what he's done uh, in the nlcs now and and into the world series uh so it, it it's certainly an interesting series i i expect Houston to win even after game one, but uh, it's, you know, recording this Wednesday morning, but uh, I certainly don't feel like I've got a good handle on things the way the postseason has gone so far. 
I find with the Braves that I, you know, in spite of the, like, the Cobb County thing it seemed like a, a I don't, yeah, again, an unfortunate move, not something that makes me like the franchise. The Tomahawk Chop is not something that makes me particularly fond of the franchise or the fan base. Uh, the, the team nickname, you know, Rob Manfred's defense of the team nickname, all of these things sort of sour me on the Braves, not to mention the fact that they are uh, such a dominant force in the Mets division. But in spite of all that, I, like you sort of alluded to, I really like the current crop of players on the Braves. Like, Ozzie Albies is so cool. Freddie Freeman, I think we've talked about this before. Like, I tend to mentally associate him with the, like, Brian McCann, Chipper Jones Braves teams that he came up with. He seems like an awesome dude. Like, there's just really nothing about Freddie Freeman that's that's not totally likable, and he's a great player. Um, Acuna, even being har- like being hurt, just seeing like the way he's into these games has been fun. I'm still rooting for the Astros, but um, it, it, it this Braves team uh, it drives some internal conflict for me, and I will say like for whatever reason, even though they're bad now, like the Nationals. I find more hateable somehow than the Braves. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it kind of depends on, like, the, the Nationals don't hit me the same way because I wasn't able to watch, you know, I, I was not as much of a Mets fan uh, during the 2010s because I was covering another baseball team. So mm-hmm. I didn't get to watch the Mets uh, and Nationals. They didn't, like, dig into that conflict. Uh, and to me, there's really only, like, the, the two years where it was tight. <laughs> um Whereas with the Braves, I I guess it wasn't that long, uh, but you I feel like you had a solid like 1997 to 2001. These were the two teams in the division, uh, mm-hmm. with the, you know the Marlins in '97 also obviously, uh, but like the Mets were good for those five years and they contended with the Braves mainly uh, for that division, uh, and it, and it was tighter. Uh, each year than it, it had been in even 2015 when the Mets kind of ran away from the Nationals by September with that series uh, around Labor Day uh, and you had the playoff meeting also so to me like that is it, it works because of how old I was at the time uh, right. we talked last time that, that the Kenny Rogers walk was my 13th birthday then uh, that is like the time that sports are the most important thing in the world uh, like mm-hmm. I will never care about a sporting event the way I cared about that that NLCS uh, but also, I like it. Just it, it reached a peak in terms of the intensity of that rivalry. That I don't know that the Mets and Cardinals did in the '80s. I don't know that the Mets and Phillies did uh, around 07-08. I don't know if that the Mets and Nats did in '15 and '16. Yeah, I think for me, the Nationals thing is more about uh, how many DC sports fans have been in my <laughs> life, like both from having gone to college there and then uh, USA Today being being based out of Northern Virginia introduced me to a lot of Nationals fans and a lot of sort of focus on that team. And uh, I am a born contrarian, so you know, to hell with the Nets. Um, we you mentioned the 2010 Giants, which is a, an interesting segue into the Mets executive search because I keep reading they're not they're not really going to hire Brian Sabian right uh what what I have heard uh, and actually we have a story coming out that we're, we're recording this Wednesday morning we have a story coming out I think soon hopefully uh with an update on the executive search uh and and what I've heard along with uh Brittany Giroli with The Athletic uh, is that Sabian is not at the moment a serious candidate for the job uh that it, it seems like he wants it 
but that the Mets are not particularly interested. Uh, that that Steve Cohen is the guy doing, you know, as you would expect, driving the search, uh, but mm-hmm. doing it almost kind of independently. Uh, that, that Sandy Alderson is not as as big an influence on him this time around as he was last year uh, when they kind of I don't want to say split the duties, but they they you know they worked together a little bit more than they have so far this year from what what we've heard. Uh, so I, I don't think Sabian is going to be the guy. Uh, you know, Matt Arnold is the name that that has popped up most recently uh, with the po- with a report from the New York Post on Tuesday that the Mets were uh, may- had maybe even made an offer to him. I've heard that 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 is not the case, uh, at least not yet, uh, as of Wednesday morning. That the Mets were still just trying to figure out how to talk to Matt Arnold, uh, which I, I love this like granting. Per- you know, they have to ask the Brewers for permission to speak to Arnold, even though they were, would be offering a promotion. Uh, that's it's kind of it's the standard in the industry that they, they would get permission for that but uh the brewers do not have to grant that permission uh they can decide against doing that uh the mets could i just i tr- can't i can't understand this world tim like we i know we've been through this before but like that's so messed up i, I it just it's it's just so let's like and like I, matt arnold has an enviable position in the brewers front office like i get that he probably gets paid really well but like you you can't even go interview for another job well, you, you know, he's under contract, uh, so that, that, that's, yeah. that's, their, that's their argument. That's true. Uh, the, the Mets could explore, uh, you know, one possibility here uh, if they, they really wanted Arnold, and it's, it's something that, that was talked about around Stearns as well in Milwaukee. It's they could try to trade for him, um, which is always uh, an interesting notion because, uh, like, you don't know exactly how to value that. You know, we've seen trades for managers and executives with kind of wildly different price points. Um, right. You had uh, the Rays trading an all-star in Randy Wynn to get Lou, Lou Pinella, uh, what, 15 years, uh, almost 20 years ago now. Uh, you had, uh, when I was covering the Red Sox, they, they traded, you know, they, they received compensation for Theo Epstein uh, in the form of Chris Carpenter, a uh, kind of a quad A reliever. Uh, and you would think that, that Theo Epstein would have gotten them more than that, if if you're going off of the Pinella calculus, uh, and then the Red Sox a year a year later traded uh, Mike Avilas, who was a you know who had been their starting shortstop and was a decent major league player, uh, in order to get John Farrell out of his contract with the the Toronto Blue Jays. So uh, I don't know exactly. Like I have no idea what it would cost to trade for a a team's GM when he's under a president of baseball ops and you'd be offering him the the president job. I don't know if that's something like, oh, they have to trade someone off their major league roster for him, or it's give us uh, a nice fringe double-A candidate kind of thing. Uh, but that uh, is another possibility down the line here for the Mets. What if you like work out like a sort of wink-wink handshake deal with Matt Arnold? Like, hey, you're under contract for one more year. Like, guess what? We're going to like, uh, I'm going to steer the ship myself this year, and you're our guy next year. So keep that in mind. When it comes time to work out trades with the Mets for the entirety of this season, <laughs> well, well uh, that would be tampering. Um, yes, <laughs> I know. That would be a very, I'm, an I have been consi- yeah, I've been consistent on this. Like, I want the Mets doing the underhanded stuff. It's just uh, one time. Just I want one. I want to see one team that I like win the championship, and I don't care the cost morally. But it does. Uh, it does throw into to light like why as a team you would want to grant permission to guys to talk about jobs that they want because when they have power in your organization they can do a lot of things that hurt your organization long term if they don't feel committed to it 
Uh, so, you know, you can imagine, like, if David Stearns really wanted uh, to run the Mets and the Brewers didn't allow him to, that, like, he could be sufficiently petulant and wreck the Brewers for years to come, right? Uh, like, you can do that as a general manager or as a, a president of baseball ops pretty easily mm-hmm. uh, in, in making uh, bad and, and short-term decisions. You know, you can spend the owner's money by, by signing uh, a free agent to a, a huge deal for 10 years. Uh, I mean, plenty of guys do it by accident. You know, it's, right. it's not that hard. <laughs> uh, I'm sure uh, there will be Twitter comments uh, regarding certain recent <laughs> general managers uh, in that regard. Um, so, you know, I, I think... Uh, it's they're at an interesting point in their search. Uh, it's late October. I think the hope was probably that they would be zeroing in on someone at this point. This is around the time that they hired Brody Van Wagenen uh, after the, the 2018 season. This is uh, around the time they hired Carlos Beltran after the, the 2019 season. Like when you have one thing to do in the month of October, you try to get it done by the end of October so that you can go into that the off season, which kind of informally kicks off with the general managers meetings the second week of November uh, kind of with everything in place the Mets aren't going to get there certainly in terms of having like a manager and a field staff in place uh, but I think there is still some hope on their side that they have a the a chief baseball decision maker in place uh, by then by November 8th or so uh, so that they're they're not falling further behind everyone else because th- that's the issue is you know you can take your time and you can you don't have to treat that as a hard deadline I don't, I don't think the Mets are but uh, the the further you wait on this move it means the further you wait on maybe hiring a GM if you think that's necessary uh, the fur- the longer you wait on uh, hiring a manager so the Cardinals have already hired their guy in Oliver Marmol. Uh, the, the Padres are probably going to beat the Mets to hiring a manager in that they've already interviewed several people. Including uh, Ru- Luis Rojas. Including Luis Rojas, uh, who does make a fair amount of sense for them. Um, and I, th- I think I called that a while. Like at some point, I said that he's going to wind up the Padres manager, win the division, and, and we'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> uh, and, and the farther you, you the, the longer you fall behind in terms of like building out your front office, because a lot of people. Uh, you know, you're not hiring great people in the month of January uh, to, to run your team. Uh, most of the time, there are some people who fall through the cracks, but most of those people are, are re-upped with their current franchise and, and sticking with that. Uh, and you might lose some people in the next couple of weeks because they, they want to know who their next boss is going to be, mm-hmm. and they don't with the Mets. Uh, so I think that's it, it is a, a little bit of a precarious situation. Like we saw this with, with Jeremy Hefner being named the pitching coach formally on Tuesday, which seems like weird timing, right? That that the Mets still looking for a president of baseball ops, still looking for potentially a GM, still looking for a manager, have no coaches on staff named, and they're like, uh, this guy's the pitching coach. Um, but that's because you know his contract, uh, the the option they have on his contract ran out at the end of October, so they had to do something then it had to do something now essentially or else he could have looked elsewhere uh to to secure something more stable than what than the kind of nebulous promise he had here before that option was exercised so that's why they made that move on tuesday it's kind of a a symbol of of some of the other things that they're going that they're not able to do right now with other positions 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So uh, you bring up the Hefner thing, and, and uh, it's an interesting case, just because we talked all about how, well, they're not going to hire, they're not going to bring back Luis Rojas if, if they don't know who the GM is. You want to give the new person in charge of those decisions uh, the, the free reign to, to make them um, and to have their, their own people in place. Um, it sounds like everybody really likes Hefner. Like, it's, I certainly, uh, you know, the Mets pitching staff. I think a lot of a lot of players uh, overperformed expectations on the pitching staff. Obviously, they were uh, you know handcuffed by injuries throughout the season. It's nothing against Hefner, but combining that and the what you're reporting that that uh, Steve Cohen is sort of uh, spearheading the executive search here. I, does does that is there something concerning there about about this process because um now it seems like like is sandy alderson being undercut and if you're a prospective executive do you look at that and say like wait a minute like this this guy is already like sandy alderson's the the team president and this owner like i already see that he's the one who called me like this this shouldn't be his job i mean that that is a way i I think this is a job that uh, it's high enough up that you would certainly expect Cohen to be part of the process mm-hmm. uh, l- the way he was last year, like, you know, and, and maybe even the main part. Uh, but, but what I've heard uh, and what Brittany has heard as well uh, is that it's, it's almost Steve on his own <laughs> doing this at this point and that even people within the Mets are, you know, would he, you know, kind of find out about candidates the same way me and you do, which is someone reports it on Twitter uh, and you you ask them about it and they're like, huh, how about that? Um, at least that's the way it's been presented uh, to, to both of us. So uh, I think they're, you know, as we've talked about all season long with, with Steve Cohen, I think that you have to have some mild concern as if you are a baseball executive who, who has to view things in the long term, who has to take the long view about so many different things uh, to run a successful baseball team, uh, Steve Cohen generally uh, can be a little bit more emotional and, and likes to uh, take a shorter view, uh, as we've seen on Twitter, uh, and and perhaps can be uh, influenced by the way Twitter is going. So uh, I think that would be a concern. I don't know that it's a prevailing one that changes the way you feel about the job. That probably depends on who you are as a person and, and how... Uh, tempting this job was to begin with, uh, kind of on its own merits. Uh, you know, like uh, someone the Mets talked to 
uh, in the past week is Scott Harris, the general manager of the Giants, who's kind of in the same position as as Matt Arnold with Milwaukee in the sense that he's relatively new as a general manager. He's the clear number two in the baseball deci- baseball operations department there. He's behind Farhan Zaidi, the way Arnold is behind David Stearns. Uh, and, and you would think, you know, oh, th- this would be a guy who would seem to be interested in moving to number one. But Harris is also from the San Francisco area, uh, has a family. Uh, you know, it's reasonable for him to want to stay. Maybe any job wouldn't be as uh, as tempting uh, as as being in San Francisco would be for him. Uh, so so the job appeals to different people in different ways. Uh, it's not necessarily a reflection on Cohen that that they've struggled to get someone at to this point. Uh, but I do think uh, you know eventually like it takes one. You've got to get someone, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how far down that list the Mets have to go. And and kind of as a collective, it then starts to to paint a picture of how people in the industry feel about this organization overall and maybe about this owner and a fascinating challenge that whoever this new person is is going to have to face is something you wrote about last week and we haven't talked about yet um but i was really really interested reading this article uh it's about city field and the way it seems to i mean not seems to i mean i read your article uh City Field suppresses exit velocity, and no one knows why. Am I am I right? Yeah, that uh, you know, City Field like balls are not hit as hard at City Field as they are elsewhere. Um, why could why would that possibly be the case? There are there are different theories uh, that people uh, on and with the Mets have. Um, I, I think you know maybe the the most basic one is, is perhaps it's being measured incorrectly uh, right that the, the point of measurement is not quite as exact uh or that you know the point of measurement like like you think of well exit velocity you've got to be measuring right off the bat mm-hmm. right like uh that uh to, to have a proper reading of it it's it's right off the bat that wind or something can't play into it but uh from my talks with people uh, in the front office with the mets that they don't quite understand they don't, they don't quite, they can't pinpoint when exit velocity is measured in each ballpark. So it is possible that, say, like a ballpark that creates more wind, especially close to home plate, would affect the way the, the exit velocity is measured or calculated. Uh, there's the aspect of the humidor, which the Mets introduced before the 2020 season. Uh, so me and you hear humidor, and we think that's to suppress offense because we've tied it historically to Coors Field using a humidor. Uh, Chase Field in Arizona uh, started using humidor a few years back uh, and really brought down the offense in that park. But the Mets' concern was that they were storing the baseballs in too humid a location. So in in Denver and in Phoenix, the concern was it was too the humidity was too low there. They needed to up the humidity of the baseball uh, to kind of make it le- so that it would not go as far. A more humid baseball does not travel as fast or as far. The Mets thought they were they were storing their balls maybe in too humid an environment. Uh, I really wish I said baseballs there. Uh, storing their baseballs in too humid an environment. Uh, and that the humidor was able to take some of the humidity out of the ball uh, and so that it, it could potentially travel farther and faster. Uh, and it seemed to work in 2020, right? Like the, the exit velocity was up instead of ranking like 28th in the league like it usually does. Uh, City Field ranked in the top 10 in exit velocity uh, in 2020. Uh, but 2020 is, as we've seen with so many different players, uh, kind of an anomaly because it's so short. It's only the summer months, so you don't get the winter. Uh, you don't get like the April and May weather uh, from City Field in New York in there. Uh, and then it reverted right back this year. 
to being, uh, I believe it was tied for 28th, tied for 29th in baseball uh, in exit velocity ahead of only uh, American Family Park in Milwaukee. Uh, so it's it's weird that like most other parks kind of fluctuate a little bit, uh, but it's City Field has been in the bottom three uh, in. I think it's six of the seven years that uh, that Statcast has calculated exit velocity, and, and we just say we just say in the Statcast era, in the Statcast era. So since 2015, <laughs> uh, City Field has been uh, you know even more so than places we associate as pitchers' parks like Tropicana Field in Tampa or uh, T Mobile Park. It's now in Seattle. Uh, like those places where, where not a lot of runs are scored and those teams struggle to score there, uh, at least the exit velocity is is pretty normal between home and road. So, uh, I mean, I guess the the good news here in that I read it is that it does seem to be an equal... Because, like, in Colorado, one of the most strange and, and I imagine frustrating things for the Rockies is that it seems like the negative impact of returning to sea level is for whatever reason, like the, for whatever reason, Rockies struggle, Rockies hitters struggle more on the road than you would expect them to just based on like pure uh, park factors. Um, and with the Mets situation, it doesn't seem like that's the case, right? Like the, the pitchers on the, the hitters on the other team are going to be impacted the same way. Yeah. You know, like it's, at this point, the Mets' understanding is that there's no, like, they haven't figured out, like, this is the kind of player who works at City Field better than he would otherwise, or this is the kind of player who doesn't work at City Field. <laughs> you know, in Coors Field, you know, your breaking balls don't move the same way. You don't want the ball hit in the air. Like, you want sinker ball pitchers. You want Aaron Cook to fill out yeah. your rotation. Um, and you want fly ball hitters for the, the exact opposite reason. You want people to get it in the air. You know, Yankee Stadium, you, you want left-handed hitters who take advantage of the short porch Fenway Park you want left-handed hitters who flick the ball the other way off the wall uh you know there there are different ways to take advantage of your park the Mets at this point don't know like who that person is for City Field uh they don't know that that the that the field is built in such a way that there is a type of player that makes more sense than otherwise uh we saw a couple years ago they kind of loaded up uh in Van Wagenen's first offseason on high contact guys uh you know they brought in uh, Robinson Cano and Jed Lowry and Wilson Ramos, all guys known for making contact. Their contact rate was much higher than the team in 2018. And the offense was better, but it didn't, it wasn't like, it, it didn't make it this huge change. And obviously, you know, Cano did not have a good year. Lowry didn't, had only eight at bats. Uh, and Ramos had, an, you know, an okay season in 2019 and a, a poor one in 2020. So, the, you know, the city field has existed for 13 years and, the data is kind of hard. It's not straightforward. You think, who, who are the guys who've had the best seasons at City Field? You know, for a long time, it was left-handed power hitters. It was like Lucas Duda and Michael mm -hmm. Conforto had had really nice home years. But the, the guy who has the best single season OPS at City Field is J.D. Davis, a right-handed pull power hitter, because <laughs> um, he did that in 2019. Uh, and then you look at other guys who've had really good years. It is high contact guys, generally left-handed hitters. So like Jeff McNeil was significantly better at home this past season than on the road. That He's been better at home over the course of his career, but but way more this year. Uh, you go back to early days at, of City Field. I remember as an intern, and I wrote this in the, the article, as an intern writing a story in 2009 that, you know, City Field had obviously like killed David Wright's power, mm -hmm. but... 
Luis Castillo and Daniel Murphy had were running batting averages on balls in play of like 380 at home and you know a league average on the road so they were really taking advantage of the size of the outfield uh, that has shrunk but we saw some of that last year where like Francisco Lindor's home BAPIP better than his road BAPIP uh, that kind of thing uh, so it's just there, there's a lot of different elements that go into it and you know a lot of different elements that go into hitting and the Mets just aren't sure like what do we assign to the park and if we assign that to the park what does that mean for this player's ability to hit here going forward uh and and should we look for someone else who has different characteristics and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on direct tv with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy i hope getting all these games on direct tv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games visit directtv.com claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher availability of rsn's varies by zip code and package high-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It is a, a really interesting challenge for someone smarter than me. We have a question uh, before we go. This comes from at Dan.Lewis, who I should mention runs an amazing newsletter called Now I Know. Um, Dan wants to know, what would your version of a Mets City Connect uniform look like? Ooh, that's a good question. So the, the problem I'm having with it is that the Mets' current version, like, the Mets' uniform incorporates blue and orange, which is, like, the official colors of New York City, and the skyline, right? So, it, like, it feels like it sort of already is a City Connect uniform. Yeah, it it, it doesn't have, like, you maybe an apple would be involved. Uh, right. Even more so. Like, I, I could imagine a secondary logo on the sleeve of like the home run apple uh that could be a thing that could work um you know i, I don't know if it would you know the, their uniform already pays homage obviously to the giants and dodgers uh i don't know if there's an a, another team in you know like the original new york metropolitans uh, that's going back to the 19th century uh so i don't know if, if you have to do something for them uh, i would want racing stripes on it personally i think that would that, that is the first thing i thought of is like make it more of a a heritage of your you know a new york mets heritage uniform uh and have racing stripes in some fashion on it um and maybe like you know they have currently blue and black alternates because they brought the black back uh maybe make one of those the city connect because uh, they don't they don't wear the blue alternate at home very often uh, and obviously they wore the black, I think, what, six times maybe in the second half of the year on Friday nights. Uh, so make one of, if, you, if you're building a City Connect, which I think every team is going to over the next several years, uh, make one of the uh, either blue or black for home games uh, part of that. Yeah, I think that that is reasonable. But like the, I kind of want, I just want like new colors. Like I was just so excited by the the Red Sox thing where they went with like the UCLA look. I just thought that looked awesome. 
Um, and so I would like to see new colors. It's just it's hard to think of any that makes sense there. I do kind of like the idea of like incorporating the the World's Fair stuff in Queens. Um, like if you could put that globe on the hat, that might be fun. It feels like going Queens heavy would be a fun way to play it. So, and you would know better than me what that what that looks like. Like I was trying to think of like iconic Queens imagery, and like all I've got is that City Court building that was like the the lighthouse of Queens until Long Island City got built up, and then the you know the World's Fair stuff right near City Field. Yeah, I mean. Uh, that's a good, like, uh, yeah, put Queens on the jersey, maybe the way that, like, the the White Sox put Southside on theirs. I think that would be uh, cool, and that would would sell well, in Queens particularly. Uh, or flushing on a jersey, I think, would be kind of funny. <laughs> flushing in a nice script. Um, yeah, like, I, I'm... I don't want to pretend to be a Queens expert. I've, I've lived here for a few years, but I, I you know, I've lived in Sunnyside. Yeah, you're the expert. You're the expert. Uh, so clearly put the big sunny side sign on there. That would be cool. <laughs> you know, something that acknowledges the borough's diversity and as, as I, I think it's understood or at least regarded as the most diverse uh, place in America, if not larger. I, I, yeah, I think world. it's the most I think it's the most diverse place in the world. Like it's basically the most diverse place in the world. It would be hard to find. It'd be hard to make a case against it. Right. It's like <laughs> right. It, it, there there are like 200 native languages spoken in Queens or something. So I, I don't know how you uh, how you acknowledge that in a uniform. Uh, just you could know. do it really ugly, right? Like <laughs> if you just made the flags of all of the different people who live in Queens, and like that was the jersey, it would be hideous, but like kind of cool. Like, could you write Queens in a different language for each player's uniform? Like, that would be interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know that that's a possibility. Uh, that breaks the rules, though, right? Because it's, it's then it's no longer a uniform. Uniform is is pretty strict, uh, etymologically speaking. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, man, th- I feel bad because you did put me on the spot with this. This was not one we discussed earlier, and no. I do I do think of myself and value myself as as someone who cares deeply about uniforms, uh, and in another life could sit down and design uniforms. And I'm, I'm I feel like I'm coming up blank on this. Um, do you have uh, so follow up question? What is your favorite baseball uniform in the New York area? Because I have a correct answer. In the New York area, uh, yeah. I think it's the the Mets road uniforms. Uh, I'm Mets including I'm including college I'm including college teams here. Oh, including see, I don't know what college I don't watch enough college baseball. Um, I don't watch any go- college baseball. <laughs> uh, I, I do know that the uh, the Ebbets Field flannel Brooklyn College uniforms are quite snazzy, uh, especially the road one. I may have purchased it for myself uh, with the uh, the maroon and gold, which I think is a, an underutilized color combination at the professional level across sports. Yes, uh, I think that that is that is one that comes to mind. It has the classic Brooklyn script, which is uh, which is always nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm going in almost the exact same direction. If you look up the Fordham baseball uniforms, I think they're they're awesome. They are uh, they're maroon and the it's mostly maroon and white. There's like silver accents, and uh, I just love that color scheme. I feel like yeah, like you said, why? I mean, this is a major pet peeve of mine that there are just like every baseball team is blue. Um, how about maroon? Like, why is there not a maroon team? Right, you know, you don't have outside of. The athletics, you have very little green in mm-hmm. baseball. Um, like, you know, I, I 
we've talked one, about the, one purple team, right? Sometimes the Diamondbacks have purple, but the, the Rockies are the purple team. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it, it's just a lot of variations of blue and navy and red. Um, right. So you would like to see. I mean, that is part of what made the, the Red Sox City Connect uniforms for people of your ilk seem cool. I did not like them because I was like, this is not, they're the Red Sox. They shouldn't be uh, wearing bright yellow. Uh, but it was just a different look on a field uh, and in a way that was not like completely jarring to the eyes the way, say, the Seahawks lime green jerseys are uh, when yeah, they wear those. Those are not good. Um, well, I'll tell you what, Tim. How about take the next several days and the weekend to think about this? And when we come ne- back next week, assuming the Mets uh, don't have a lead baseball executive yet, which they, they probably won't in time for our next podcast, uh, I will welcome your conclusion on the Mets' best possible City Connect uniform. You understand that I'm going to spend like the first three days deciding what version of a cue I would want for Queens because there's no good script cues. Very difficult letter to, to, to write in script. See, it is it is that sort of uh, observation that makes me very excited to see what you come up with. I want this to be like, yeah, this should be a full-time thing for you from between now and, and the next podcast, whenever that is. I'll, I'll work on it. All right. Well, until then, Tim, peace out. Adios. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.